Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation? The podcast that explores the reality of a word that is in danger of losing its meaning altogether. This podcast is produced by Outlast Consulting, LLC, a boutique consultancy that helps companies use innovation principles to solve their toughest business problems. I'm your host, Jared Simmons, and I'm so excited to have Tyrone Lingley, a senior SaaS partnership leader with over 10 years of experience building and leading high-performance partnership and marketing teams in technology, e-commerce, and sports entertainment industries. He is currently the head of partnerships at Ally.io, responsible for building and delivering their long-term go-to-market technology, strategic, and channel partnerships. Prior to joining Ally.io, Ty led high-performance partnership and marketing teams at Unbounce, Shoes.com, Bell Canada, the Rick Hansen Foundation, and the Vancouver Organizing Committee for the 2010 Olympic and Paralympic Games. Ty is a board member with the Cloud Software Association, which strives to build the market for the distribution of cloud software. Their 2,000-plus members span the industry as SaaS vendors, platforms, API services, resellers, distributors, and investors. Ty, welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk with you. I really enjoyed meeting you, and we can talk a bit about our connection, and I'm excited that you agreed to join us and, and let our guests benefit from a conversation with you. Of course, sure. It's a, it's a privilege, and sorry that was such a mouthful for you to get up <laughs> the intro. <laughs> You've done a lot of amazing things. I'd rather have a mouthful up front to talk about. That means it's going to be an interesting conversation. Okay, cool. Why don't we just dive right in? Tell me, what is innovation? Oh, wow. I mean, where, where do we begin? I think I was looking at quotes in and around this to get some inspiration. And one I read was, innovation is an idea that has been transformed into practical reality, mm. which I think... Uh, is much more tangible and palatable for a lot of people. So that's a, I like that simple definition. Yeah. You know, I work in tech and software in, in particular, and I think, you know, there's a degree of innovation, which is all about your IP and patents filed and, and getting the, that stuff to market too. But I also think more importantly, it's a mindset. Mm -hmm. I think innovation is about the willingness to reinvent yourself as an individual, as a human, as a team, as a company. And so I think that reality part of the quote comes down to, to people and people are what make these ideas come into fruition. So while I understand and recognize that there's a lot on the tech side of things that plays in innovation, I think it's more important on the people side of the equation, if that makes sense. Makes total sense to me. Yeah. I could see why that definition would appeal to you. I love the idea of moving something from an idea to practical reality, because it does, it does say exactly what you said, that there's an element of this that requires utility or usefulness. Yes. And that's only, you know, you can only deliver things. You can only make something real and practical through other human beings, through people. People make that possible. And the technology element I agree is very important sometimes can overshadow the actual human side of, of the equation, which, you know, with all the technology we have in the world, there's very few places where humans have been eliminated from the process of innovation. That's right. And I have a unique take on this because in my current role, uh, I work for, as you know, Ally.io, uh, an OKR mm -hmm. software company, a goal management software. 
company and you know our the whole concept of why we exist is helping organizations go from from strategy to execution mm. and you know we believe we very much solved for the software part of the equation mm. in in getting teams aligned um, providing transparency and, and focus in order to get from your strategy to your execution but we know and we see this time and time again that the software is not the solution it goes back to the people right mm. we know that there needs to be the right change management in place communication strategy in place business rhythm set up essentially buy-in and willingness to kind of this this shared mission and so we do in this case think we have the innovation part of the equation solved with our software but it means nothing unless the people behind it are bought in to making it come to life, you know? Right, right. And and when you look at the way you partner with your clients, it's clear that innovation is a core part of the solution. Or sorry, technology is a core part of this innovation solution, but there's so much around that you all have built up around that technology to make it work for people. Yes, yeah. I think that OKRs and specifically, we always say that an objective should be doing at least one of three things, which is driving growth, driving innovation, or driving change. And so talking about OKRs specifically, I think it's it's really important that people understand that OKRs are about ambitious goals, mm -hmm. driving ambitious amounts of growth, ambitious amounts of innovation, ambitious am amounts of change, and they're not business as usual activities. And so I think it's important to, to clarify that because um, I think people start thinking about goals and OKRs in particular as business as usual activities, almost like a checklist. Mm -hmm. Know that innovation, it doesn't get there with just a checklist of business as usual activities. Yeah, well, well said. I want to talk more about ambition. It's a great word in the context of innovation, in the context of work processes and goal setting and goal management. I do think, you know, there's that, that old quote, you know, make no small plans because they don't have the power to move men's souls, that old quote. But tell me about, you know, why it's important that these objectives are ambitious. I mean, for starters, I think everyone would agree that the speed at which business happens, the speed at which things change is just uh, accelerated to this point. So I, I don't think you have an option, but to be ambitious. And that also includes, you know, what you're trying to achieve, but also your willingness to pivot or adapt when necessary. Mm. So well, I always like to think about Google's 10x thinking, which is anything that they're thinking about doing, like, how can we 10x that? Mm -hmm. So I think ambition is, it's a state of mind and people need to be, especially when working within a company, need to have the, the psychological safety and safe place to be ambitious uh -huh. and you know take okrs as an example like they're meant to be ambitious they're meant to be quasi moonshots they're meant to be stretch uh -huh. which is going to force you to experiment fail fast all of these things and so just back to the topic of ambition i think it's a a state of mind but it, it needs to have fertile ground in order to be realized. Yes. Yes. That makes perfect sense. So we've talked a bit about ambition in that context. 
I think there's also the flip side of the coin around, um, and I don't know if this is an op, it might not be the opposite, but in a lot of minds it is, but humility and the role of humility in setting objectives and forcing the organization to be more transparent about uh, and a bit more measured about what, what it's trying to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, I think humility is is table stakes for high performance these days. I mean, you look at the companies that are attracting top talent, and most of the time, you know, when you're motivated to work for someone, be it your manager or work for a, a vision, mission, be it of the company, there has to be the, some element of humility that's uh, put on display because I think it would be a far stretch to think that anybody has all of the answers or that can make predictions that are always going to be accurate. And you're not going to set people up to achieve ambitious goals unless there is humility, which I think plays part of that, that safe, safe space mm -hmm. that I, I meant, or that's part of the part of the equation. So I think humility is, it plays a critical role in fostering ambition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it almost feels like the way to keep ambition healthy is to have a healthy dose of humility about it so that it doesn't turn into hubris almost. For sure. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, it's kind of like, what's the old saying? It's like you want to under promise and over deliver. Right, right. Not the way, the way around. And so I think humility plays a, a part in that. So it, it, I think it works to your advantage tactically to have humility in your game plan. I agree. I agree. And that the element of psychological safety that you referenced before, I couldn't agree more about the need for that in terms of integrating it into your culture, which I think, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but I think, I think goal setting and goal management is, is a culture-driven effort, is a part, is woven into the development and execution of your culture. And I think, I think the psych element of psychological safety plays a big role in how that gets factored into the way people interact with each other, the way they collaborate, the way they work in teams and cross-functionally. Yeah. And it's not easy, right? Like that has to be that, that's a culture that's built and fostered over time. And tactically, we at Ally, we don't connect individual OKRs to performance management or compensation or anything like that, mm -hmm. because well, one people are just going to start sandbagging, right? They're not going to be as ambitious as they could. They're not going to care as much about the person next to them's goals because they're worried about their own. There's going to be less collaboration. And so that's kind of a stance that we take to combat that. Secondly, we're trying to learn as much as possible, right? And so mm -hmm. when you have a learning mindset and when you set your OKRs and when you either achieve them or you don't, the most important thing is what are we learning? what takes place in that retro and those conversations, like what's going well, what was tricky, what was a challenge, mm. what would we do differently next time? Mm -hmm. That's where there's the gold in the, the hills, so to speak. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So I think, you know, I'm familiar with your principles and how you operate. I think something you just referred to would be a very unique aspect of the way Ally goes about goal management, which is separating the performance management. From the OKR. So could you kind of unpack that a little bit and explain, because I think most people grew up in a corporate culture where your goal, your performance goal determined your raise or your bonus or your rating as a, as an employee. Right. Yeah. So like, I think in, in many ways, 
is part of this cultural evolution in the workspace, which is focusing on the employee experience mm -hmm. and knowing that if you take good care of your employees, they'll in turn take good care of your customers, which of course takes care of the business. And so an example would be like some companies have transitioned from you know, a set amount of vacation to unlimited vacation. And then, you know, some companies have gone as far as to not have performance reviews, just like in school, you know, there's kids who aren't getting report cards anymore. I'm not saying that's always the right thing to do in every case, but I do think that if you're at the pinnacle of your culture, there's an implicit trust and code that's shared amongst everybody within that produces those results without having to referee mm -hmm. or, or reprimand or judge. And so unpacking the individual performance piece to the, the goal management piece, I think everyone wants a template and a process for how to do things as they scale. And I think that that's not incorrect. And, and so if you think about someone in HR, people in culture, who's trying to create a standard way of evaluating people on a level playing field and incentivizing them. I think, of course, there's going to need to be some mechanism that, that is in play in a one-on-one -on -one with a manager in an annual review and a quarterly review. But as far as people hitting their goals, you know, if three individuals are sharing an objective that's quite ambitious, that they put a lot of effort into, that they were given direction from the company goals, because of course we need to be contributing to the level up, so to speak, and, and what the general direction, if OKRs have been crafted correctly and if waterfall down and, you know, those three people work their butts off for an entire quarter and there is externalities at play shifts in priority. And let's say those objectives and key results aren't hit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, how can you punish those people, so to speak, for the work done when all of the, you know, the green lights were in place for them to be working on that. And so right. I think that's where we want to decouple mm -hmm. um, OKRs from individual performance. And as I said before, what we've seen time and time again, and this isn't just ally, this is, this is a lot of consultants such yourself, a lot of people weighing in that, you know, if that's the case, and I'm going to be judged on, on the performance of my OKR as well, I'm not going to make them ambitious. Right. I'm not going to help, you know, all those dependencies that are in place. I'm going to put less of a emphasis on what you're trying to accomplish and think more about myself. Exactly. And so I think it, it starts to backpedal into a more archaic way of doing things. Mm, I couldn't agree more. I think just the architecture of OKRs being cascaded and waterfall down, you know, from the business objectives and then decoupling it from the individual performance evaluation. I think those two things are central to being able to make those OKRs ambitious, because if the organization's OKR is ambitious, it makes you feel like you're less out on a, on a limb yes, with yeah. your ambitious OKR. Okay, well, everybody's stretching, everybody's pushing themselves, everybody's a little outside of their comfort zone. Sure. And if we as an org, if we as a, as a, you know, two, three, five person team can't make this work, there's, you know, no implicit blowback or repercussions to, you know, the assessment of my, of my capabilities. Right. And that's a level of fairness, equity that hasn't existed in corporate culture for as long as it's been around. Right. And I think it's, it's really hard for people to kind of 
learn how to think differently. And I think that is in and of itself innovative, just the, the idea of decoupling those things and then having to wrestle with the questions that that brings up. Yeah, and I think that if you're utilizing OKRs or any sort of goal management methodology correctly, it's creating more accountability, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's not about shying away or leaning into the things that matter most. It's about defining what those are and helping people understand specifically, are we getting there? How far along are we getting? If we're not getting towards those, those ambitious goals, like what might we be doing wrong? Right. You know, what's changed? How can we learn from this? And I think that's a much better approach as opposed to one, not knowing at all, which I think you'd be blown away at the amount of big logos and household name brand companies people here have all heard of that really don't have a shared framework of where they're trying to get to, where people don't understand how their work contributes to that and why their work matters. Yeah. Unbelievable. I wonder if you know, as we record this, we're still as a, it is an economy uh, working our way as a global economy, still working our way out of the, the throes of this, the pandemic and the economic impact that it uh, generated. I wonder if the sort of well-documented, you know, reflection and self, self-reflection and things like that, have, that have happened within the talent pool and the workforce are kind of changing the way employees set their expectations about how they'll be judged and assessed and, and, you know, those sorts of things in the workplace. I definitely think people are evaluating that. I mean, has been talked about like this recovery from the pandemic is going to be K-shaped, right? There's going to mm -hmm. be some massive winners and some massive losers and everything in between. Different employees in different sectors or verticals are going to have a different experience as to what they demand. Mm -hmm. I'll speak for myself, and I know people, you know, in the, the technology space are, are benefiting from a bull run that, you know, is seeing yeah. everything go digital, virtual, remote, distributed. And people in these spaces are able to demand more, you know, and, and you look at all of the headlines that come out about the great reset where people are leaving their jobs and in droves. Mm -hmm. And part of that is, well, I think what you just talked about, which is like an old school way of being treated, mm -hmm. an old school way of being evaluated, of being valued as an employee. And so back again to the space I occupy, I know people are more demanding and more discerning about how they're going to be treated, how they're going to be evaluated, and how they're going to be shown to be of value to the company. Yeah, I think that's spot on. It really makes me reflect on how, as we, as a consulting firm, engage with clients, how we assess risk as we think about their goal management. So if you're not using a, a process like OKRs, where you've got objectives and key results, and that's separate from your employee performance evaluation approach, if you're not using something like that, that now, I think, introduces a certain level of risk to your talent management. You're not just looking at how do I manage my business results. The way you manage your business results also has this knock-on effect to your succession planning, your talent management, and all those other things. Yeah, I agree. You know, what I see is like every organization that exists has goals, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least they, they may not verbalize them or, or put them out there well. In the back of someone's mind, there's goals for a, an organization or a company. And so knowing that, 
why wouldn't you want to take the most efficient route as possible? Right. And I'm biased. I know the OKR framework and, you know, it's, it's exploding in terms of a, being an adopted framework for, for companies across the board. Right. Because I think it's simple by nature. It's inclusive in nature. And it's all about that alignment, transparency, and focus that people need to get to the end state that the company and they themselves want to get to, Right. you know, and then I think it gets, it does get tricky when you add in a layer of people management to the equation. And mm -hmm. I would turn it back to you. Like when, when you mentioned the trickiness or, or, or that part or that risk mm -hmm. with these organizations, what, what do you mean by that? Are you talking about the, the, the people side of the equation? Are you talking about like maybe the leadership side of the equation? Like where, where do you see risk? coming from and to whom? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. So what we tend to see is if you think about an organization's ability to, well, let's take finance for the, as a department for as a simple example, the way you evaluate your finance organization's success. So is this organization healthy? Is it operating efficiently? Is it delivering what it's supposed to do to deliver to the organization? That's one thing. And we often talk about goal management and decision-making rights and all those other things in that conversation. But what, we, what has been more difficult to introduce into that has been the impact of talent management directly on those results. And so now, as we've entered this sort of buyer's market, seller's market, whatever, the talent's <laughs> in charge, yeah, yeah, <laughs> depending on what yeah. side of the equation you sit on. Yeah. But flipping it to say now, the way you assess success for your finance organization is going to is going to determine whether this top CPA, you know, in this other firm will consider your offer. Am I being held to this goal that is imp impacted by 12 or 15 other people? Is that going to affect my bonus? Is that going to affect my raise? Is that going to affect my view and standing in the organization? Or will I be able to decouple the results from this highly matrixed, com you know, complex organization from the way that I am viewed as an employee? Are, will those things be separate? And if the answer is yes, I think given the way people have shifted their priorities in this market, in this market for talent, I think that is going to be something that has to be factored in from a risk standpoint, because the people who do exactly what you described, people who say, you know, these are the business objectives and this is how we view you as an employee, the people that separate those conversations are going to win in the near term. And if you're not doing that, your succession planning is at risk. Right. And the quality and sustainability of your performance is at risk because your talent is what drives that. Right. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And it's, I mean, there's so much to unpack there and it's tricky. We don't have enough time, but <laughs> I, I mean, at some point there also is, you know, I think a culture that gets created and it's not for everybody, right? Mm, that's exactly right. Yep. And then people get a choice of whether they want to be a part of that culture or not. And I think in the least, if a company is transparent and explicit about what that culture and what those expectations are, you can start to evaluate whether or not it's a, it's a, a fit for yourself. I'm not saying that the, the culture may always be morally right or, or, or favorable employee, mm -hmm. but it, it, it will be there. And so in my experience, I feel like 
when I've been onboarded or transitioned to working with a, for a new organization, mm-hmm. it was always that's part. It was part of my job ahead of time to understand these things about the company before I took the leap of faith. Right. Yep. So that's why the recruiting and onboarding phase and also what happens prior to anyone joining an organization is so imperative. And that's Mm. why people do hire with certain lenses on, you know, you'll first meet somebody who will be evaluating you for fit, right? cultural fit, and you get to do the same in advance. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I think there's a lot of mitigating things that you can do up front, both from the employee and the employer side to set the right expectations. Mm-hmm. Part of that also is, is being clear and upfront about how we measure performance, how we right. evaluate our people, right? Right. And having an answer is important. I think the people that are going to miss out most aren't necessarily the people who have a bad answer to that. It's the people who have no answer at all. That's it. Because I have clients who, if someone asked them tomorrow, they couldn't tell them how those things are measured and tracked either side of the, either side, the individual performance or the corporate performance as it waterfalls down. That's right. And that's on the company. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's on that. So, yeah. Yeah. Now we've ranged in a number of different directions. And, and one thing I just realized is one thing we didn't do for the listeners. And I'd love for you to just take a minute is just to explain what an OKR is. Right. Right. So an objective and key results is simply a goal management methodology. Okay. An objective is what is it you want to achieve and why? And a key result or how we'll know if we've achieved our objectives, what are those outcomes? Mm -hmm. And that's what they are in, in their basic form, clicking in a little bit further. And OKR is really a method to help organizations crystallize their priorities and enable everyone to align into them and create this relentless focus on growth and innovation that we've discussed previously. Mm -hmm. And so what they're not is they're not KPIs and they should not be used to measure business as usual. So OKRs really are fostering this ambitious environment that we've talked about in a safe place. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. So you, you differentiate between sort of the, you know, if I'm a Fortune 500 company, sort of the, the, the numbers that I'm reporting on a quarterly basis, what does that need to look like next quarter, that top line revenue number? Like, what am I going to commit to for Wall Street versus what are we shooting for as a company? Right. And there, again, the theme of ambitions coming back in here and I'll repeat it. It's like, OKR should be about driving growth, driving innovation or driving change. And I think... Mm-hmm. You know, key performance indicators are, are a health metric. Mm-hmm. And if there's a particular health metric that's falling behind or we need to accelerate, we may use an OKR to do that. But in, you know, to separate them, they are really about shining a spotlight on the strategic priorities of the company mm-hmm. versus a floodlight approach, which is looking at everything and all the health indicators. So, so OKRs are very tactical and focused by nature. Spotlight versus floodlight. That's a, that's a great kind of tactical visceral uh, analogy. That's super great. Thank you. Right. So I'd love to understand, I know you're, you, you live in the SaaS world and you, you know, you've done amazing things, places like UnboundShoes.com, Bell Canada, the Vancouver Organizing Committee for the 2010 Olympics and uh, Paralympic Games. Amazing stuff. What keeps you busy outside of work? 
<laughs> well, right now, this stage in my life, my two and a half year old daughter, Evelyn. Oh, that'll do uh, it. <laughs> she more than busy. I think she was up last night at one, then again at three, four, five. So she's keeping oh me gosh. on my toes big time <laughs> right now. But you know, I I live in Vancouver, BC, and, and pretty cliche, but I, I live for the outdoors. So I, I snowboard a lot, I mountain bike a lot, I hike a lot, I get out on the water as much as I can. So that's generally where you'll find me outside either in the, the hills or in, in the water in my spare time. Oh, that's amazing. Just that list of outdoor activities can only exist. If you gave me that list of things you've done, there's only, you know, 10 places on earth where you can do all those things in the same, <laughs> in the same sure, place. Yeah. That's the classic thing. In Vancouver, you can go skiing, golfing, and kayaking in the same day. So. Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing. And those types of activities, getting outdoors, they're unplugged from things. They are, you know, physical, you know, you're outside and all those things. I think it's critical to have that sort of balance, especially when you're in this type of industry. Yeah. You talked about innovation. I don't see a place where good, great innovation takes place where you're constantly multitasking, constantly in back-to-back -back meetings, constantly in retros and QBRs, like I think that that innovation definitely happens a lot of the time in the quiet space in those those states of flow. And, and for me, that's definitely outside. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Well said. Ty, any advice as we wrap up here, any advice for future innovators or current innovators out there? Advice? Oh, man, I, I feel like it's kind of like dance like nobody's watching, man. Like, I love it. You do you and, and, and keep going. Yes, of course, you're going to have to listen to some people. And yes, there's some rules to know. But I think true innovation comes from people who are unencumbered, who, who feel liberated, who feel have a, a freedom to move in a direction that they, they believe in. And so, yeah, that, that line, like dance, like nobody's watching came to, to mind. Cause it just, I think that speaks to it. I love it. That's another very visual, visceral kind of analogy to, to kind of bring innovation down from the clouds and into sort of something real, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's great. So thank you for, for sharing that with us and thank you for your time. It's been, you know, yet another fun conversation, fun chat with you. And, uh, I appreciate you, uh, you, you making the time to have it. Yeah, thanks. As I said off the top, it's it's a privilege and, and congratulations on this all the success that you're seeing and, and best of luck. And I, I can't wait to chat with you again in the future. Thank you so much. Congrats to you all as well. And uh, keep doing great things there at Ally.io. Cheers. Have a good day, Jared. All right. Take care. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this week's show. You can drop us a line on Twitter at Outlast LLC, O-U-T-L-A-S-T-L-L-C, or follow us on LinkedIn where we're Outlast Consulting. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means.